Gonna... All right, I'll report on my end, but you have 20 minutes. Awesome. Hi. I'm just gonna turn some lights on. Give me a second. Okay. A little better. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Allison. Nice to meet you too. Um, thank you for uh, doing this. Um, so I'm going to record an intro later and I'm just going to start and say, hey, hey, Gabriel, how are you? Is that cool? Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, Gabriel, how are you? Doing okay. Awesome. Um, do you want to tell everyone, you want to start telling everyone a little bit about why you're here and what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so March 1st, I have my second feature coming out. It's called Amelia's Children. It's going to come out uh, in a few theaters across the states in L.A., New York, and then on streaming everywhere like uh, Apple, Amazon, etc. Um, and it's a horror film, a weird horror film. I produced it um, as well as writing and directing and produced it with my partner, Margarita. So it's sort of a, a homemade film in a way. And yeah, we're really excited to share it with people. Awesome. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? I mean, the list is super long, uh, <laughs> but definitely Shining. I mean, it feels like such a, a lame answer because such a, you know, everybody loves uh, <laughs> Shining. But then funnier ones like, you know, Scream I love, uh, Barbarian that came out recently I really love, like things that mix humor and and horror I really love. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, I also feel like it has this like campy humoristic side to it. And then I really love like, yeah, whether it's like South Korean or, or Japanese horror, um, like Wailing or uh, The Ring or Juwon, or I just found them, find them definitely to be the scariest. Awesome. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you first found love with the horror genre? Yeah, I, th I, you know, I love really weird, surreal films. I love action and intensity and suspense and violence in films. And I like, like films that can be metaphors, you know, for something a little a little deeper. And I've actually, you know, growing up as a kid, I wasn't a horror fan because I was just scared out of my mind of horror films. Uh, I remember like one of my first experiences going to a horror movie, horror, which is like a kid's movie, but Gremlins. And I think I like totally peed my pants uh, in the theater <laughs> with my grandma. Um, but as soon as I started working in, in horror, whether it was writing or, or then directing, it's like I felt so at home because like I'd done this other feature, Diamantino, and Diamantino is like very weird, very offbeat, very surreal, has some action, has some genre stuff. And then that's all the stuff that exists within within horror already. You know, it's like a, uh, it's a genre that has uh, transgression, has perversion, has metaphor, often has politics, like, you know, even Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, like the subheading is like a modern slave or something. It was about slavery in some way. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's the stuff that I really love about horror. It's like, it's got all this fantasy, but it also has some deeper stuff. Awesome. So like you said before, you're here to talk about your newest movie, Amelia's Children, which hits VOD on March 1st. I watched it a couple of nights ago and it really made me think, um, about what I would do if I was in the main character situation or his partners and it was really creepy and um, I just kept saying oh no oh no oh no where did the awesome. idea for this story come from um 
it started definitely with me being like, I, I want to make a horror film. And I started brainstorming. I use Excel a lot to write, which is like weird. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and and I made a little grid to like brainstorm, like uh, horror trope genre characters, like ogres, vampires, werewolves, uh, witches on like the top row. And then vertically, like family relationships, like grandparents, things, <laughs> et cetera. And then I tried to just cross both of them, like siblings and vampire. Okay, what what if my my sister's a vampire? And I'd start trying to brainstorm that. And then I came to like witch and mother's son. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I started thinking about that. And then immediately to me, like ideas of transgression and like of generations sort of fighting it out came into my mind. And and I thought that was interesting and, and strong. So that was that was I don't want to spoil too much, but that that was the seed of the of the film. Awesome. How long did it take you to write the script? The script came out quick, which is super unusual. I'm like, as most writers, very anxious and nervous and belabor scripts and delay writing. And uh, one of the hardest parts of, of, of making movies is writing. But, you know, I think I wrote it probably the first version in two months or something or even shorter. But then I started rewriting to polish and that rewriting almost took a year or something, which was, you know, sort of nuts. But there's a lot of second guessing. And then ironically, we get to shoot and we had some practical problems shooting. And so we had to change the scripts. And that led me to be like, wait, why don't I go back to something more similar to the first version? And so we actually got quite close to the first version, which is funny. There's like a, a one year rewrite part that mostly like went into the trash can. But it, I think sometimes that's necessary, right? You go like two steps backward, one step forward or something, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy with the, um, yeah, with where it ended up. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to your shooting, what was the filming like and where did you film and how long were you shooting for? So we shot 40 days and we shot in Portugal. That's where I usually live. Like my family's Portuguese and I grew up in the States, but moved back when I was like 21. And yeah, we, we shot in Sintra, which is this really beautiful, uh, been there. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and it's like sort of mystical, has all this history, yeah. has a bunch of like ruins and palaces. It has a very magical atmosphere. Yeah. And we found this, you know, derelict palace that's like uh really beautiful and often used for for film shoots. Like there's one Portuguese director who's filmed seven films there. He swears every single film that he'll never shoot there again, but then he goes back. <laughs> And then it's a, it's a real pleasure because the architecture of this house is so particular, so beautiful, so strange. Uh, it's got these like sort of like a, a Moroccan uh, archways. Uh, it's really nice. But you can what's special about it is like a lot of these older houses, you won't be able to, you know, paint the walls or whatever, because it's sort of like, you know, uh, too old to do that or something you know they want to they want to preserve it but this house since it's a bit run down you can do whatever you want and and so we got really to treat the interior of the house as a studio set we got to paint it put floors in as we wanted decorate it uh yeah it was great oh wow that's that's really incredible because usually you'll use the exterior for something and then yeah. have to use a set for the interior that's really interesting your lead uh carlotto kata am i saying that right yeah carlotto carlotto kata played both himself and his long lost twin brother. Did you intend to cast twins at first or was the idea to always use one actor? 
No, I like I you know I keep a, a pretty open mind production wise, uh, and we looked for twins because we knew it'd be easier. Uh, but we also were totally open. Uh, I did now looking back, I wish we had gone with twins because for uh, you know a smaller film, it's definitely hard. It takes you know you're filming every scene twice, just setting up green screens and lights, and so it, it puts this extra burden on on something that you're trying to keep as light and efficient and flexible as possible. Um, but I also saw, you know, the pleasure of like doing twin films. Like I love Dead Ringers. I like the parent trap. I like the, you know, <laughs> it, it's fun. It's cool. It's uh, having the actor interact with themselves. It does pose some challenges to the actor because you, you weren't in the moment, you know, it's a, it's, you have to work harder to get a good performance, you know? Yeah. Uh, your cast was great though. Where did you find both uh, uh, Carlota and Brid uh, Bridget, who so plays Bridget, Riley. Bridget had seen uh, Diamantino, my first feature, and really loved the film and how weird it was. You know, Bridget like loves weird out there things, and so they really connected with with my film and reached out, and I couldn't have been happier. You know, I, I'd been a fan of their work, and 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 then once we actually got now we're we're close friends, but once we got to work together, it was just so. So incredible to see how talented they are and, and what they brought to this character, you know? Um, so, yeah, I felt like we immediately built up a sort of friendship and, and trust, uh, which is the most important thing between an actor and a director. It's like, because as, as an actor, you'll often be very insecure. And as a director, you're like seeing whether you like stuff or not and giving suggestions uh, sort of from an outside point of view. And, you know, if the actor is not trusting the director and that the director is like, you know, got the right taste or doing the right thing or seeing it the right way you'll second guess the director and that can be a real messy path you know and with Bridget it was really there's a, a great harmony we've done a short project in in November together and it was really great to work again together awesome can I ask who your favorite you know film or horror specific directors are yeah totally like uh, uh there's this film wailing i always forget uh the director's name but I really really love it i just watched it like uh two months ago or something uh then what else this isn't really horror but it's a uh, it's based on horror stories uh mizoguchi's like witch uh films uh they're really beautiful i love ariaster love shining love scream uh i do like some of the giallo stuff like suspiria etc but i wouldn't say it's like up there and then the one that really got me excited recently was Barbarian. I thought it was so cool. Uh, yeah. It made me laugh so much and scare me so much. And thought it was also, you know, doing the political thing that I was talking about at the beginning. Still talking about like Me Too and male-female relationships. And, and it's not, it's talking about something deeper at the same time. Yeah. So the idea of Goya, a Portuguese witch, came up uh, while Riley was researching what may be going on in the house throughout the course of the film. I was researching the folklore earlier, and it's not exactly what happens in the film, but did the folklore inspire what you wrote as the plot? Uh, not The Goya stuff came later. There's actually a, a woman who owns a version of the portrait that we copied of the portrait of Amelia. And her name is Condesa Dalba, who's like a very rich aristocratic Spanish woman, like part of the royalty. And she had extreme plastic surgery done. And then her partners were always like half or less than half her age. Uh, they were much younger. And she was also quite playful and coy. And even, in, you know, into old age, like there's many pictures of her dancing and stuff. 
so she ended up inspiring a lot of the film and took me towards the idea of Goya because she owned this like Goya portrait of her uh, ancestor, I guess. And and then once I got into that, I guess Goya did inspire one of the things, which is Goya has this beautiful painting of Kronos devouring his children, uh, which is the myth, you know, like uh, Kronos is afraid his children will take over his spot. So he decides to eat them so that they, they won't dethrone him, you know, but Zeus manages to escape and and kill him and it talks about you know i think it's a myth that talks about relationships and between parents and kids and parents whether it's being competitive with kids or afraid of being surpassed by their kids or even generational you know like uh, older people finding that younger people don't care about them or will supplant them or will ignore them and and that goya painting of this monster like crazily devouring this like creature in his hands this this person in his hands is such an intense and awesome painting and so that really inspired, we, we did a version of that painting for our, for our film. Yeah, awesome. Am I right in saying that it was Annabella Moraria who played the older version of Amelia in the movie? Yeah, Annabella Moreira played the, the older Amelia. And I'd worked with her once before, and she's just so incredible, yeah. Yeah, she was great. Um, how long did it take her to get into prosthetics every time? It's It was horrible. I feel bad for having <laughs> her through that, but it took like a... I think the first time it was like six hours and then they got a little quicker every day. And it ended up, I think the quickest they got was like four hours to put the mask on and stuff and the gloves, not gloves, the the hands. Um, and then to take off, which I wouldn't imagine also takes a long time, like uh, take off the mask carefully would take like another hour or more. Oh my goodness. How long were the shooting days typically? I don't know. I think almost 12 hours or something. It depends what part of the crew you're on, you know, like productions, there the longest, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it's always, it's, it's intense shooting. Uh, there was a lot of great gore in it. Was it mostly practical or CGI or a mix? Yeah, it's all, it's all practical. And then, you know, if, if something's missing a little bit, uh, you'll put a little bit in VFX, but I always find that practical is much better. I love digital VFX, but I, I, I guess either it's like the green screen where I want the VFX not to be seen, right? I just want it to blend in. Or I really want the effect to like be visible. Like if I if I do, I did a short with a little robot, a 3D robot, and and I want, you know, the effect to be cool and to be visible and stuff. And then with blood and stuff, I think it's always a, it can help if it's aiding something that was done on set. If you're doing like full 100% blood, it's like, it always looks so bad. And I find that also often like, Films that use like, you know, CG monsters or something, uh, they'll often be so much less scary than when there's like a practical monster. Like I feel like Barbarian or Wreck or Ringu from Japan, the original, like they're all real people playing these like ghosts or demons or monsters. And they're so much more scary than when you have like a digital ghost or something, you know? Yeah. Speaking of those J-horror movies, do you like their American remakes or not so I find that remakes oftentimes are weak, whether they're the horror films or other films. Like there's this film I really love, um, uh, Force Majeure, uh, which is just a drama about, it's a really funny movie. Uh, it was remade with Will Ferrell uh, here in the States. But it's about, a, you know, people at a ski resort and there's an avalanche and the guy runs away from his wife and his kids because he's too scared rather than being like courageous or whatever. And the rest <laughs> of the movie is just them fighting because it's a test avalanche, like nobody gets hurt. So like... <laughs> Uh, it's just them tearing each other apart for him being a coward. And it's really funny. And it just loses something when there's a translation. Because I think often as you're trying to translate to the U.S., you're trying to 
amp up the potential spectatorship for it. So oftentimes you'll have a studio that's trying to sort of like round off the corners. And so oftentimes these films lose a little bit of their edge, you know? Yeah. Do you think there's any room here for a sequel? Yeah, totally. I I, I think so. I'm actually working, I'm working on something else. Also horror at a church camp. So not a sequel of this, but I could, I could definitely imagine a, a horror film sequel for, for Amelia's children. Oh, any release date for that one? Uh, not yet, no. Not yet. <laughs> um, what, if you can talk about it without spoiling it, what are some of the political messages that you conveyed the most through Amelia's children? I think there are like two things. And these are things like, it's not like I'm like writing like, oh, I'm, I'm for this thing. And so I'm going to make a film that's like a vehicle for this message or something. Because that often like will make something that's a little dull or stale or preachy or something. But as I'm building this script, it's it's coming from me. And I think, you know, today we live in a place where there's like in a in a time when like everybody I feel like is more and more connected digitally and whatever, but feeling more and more lonely and more anxious. And more and more I think we're feeling like like the rug's been pulled out from under us in a lot of ways. And like sort of like, you know, I think people talk about it like the crisis of anxiety or something. Like there's more and more anxious people. And we're trying so hard to find out, like, what's the meaning of life? What do we want to do? Uh, who are we exactly? And doing a DNA test is sort of like a cheap kind of cheat code to like, oh, I'll figure out who I am if I figure out my DNA test. And so that's sort of like the original sin for Ed, the main character at the beginning of the film. It's like he thinks that his loneliness or anxiety, whatever he's feeling at the beginning of the film, uh, the sort of fragility that he's he's projecting might be solved as he if he figures out you know who his who his family is and where he's from and often that can be a trap or something for me it's like it's definitely important but not not the only thing and then the other thing that i tried to explore through amelia was about like generational narcissism like right now we've got like two candidates to uh the presidency who are you know geriatric and it's like in senate as well we we have so many people who just refuse to to let go of their seats and we even saw this in the Supreme Court of like judges who refuse to to let go and they're getting older and older. And I don't think it's something that's particular to the boomer generation, but I think every generation has a rough time sort of handing off the baton to the next generation. And I feel like Amelia, if she represents anything that might be a little serious, I don't want to talk the film up to be like a super serious thing, but she definitely refuses to let the next generation sort of go their way and find their path, you know? Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, so have you done a DNA test before? I did it after writing the script. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what kind of box does this come in? But I, you know, I actually found it not too cinematic. Maybe it would have been cooler if it had, because you just spit in a little tube or whatever, it's mm -hmm. sort of cheap, which, you know, makes sense for what it should yeah. be. And we did the more like digital thing. Oh, no, I remember why I didn't do the spit thing is like, I wanted the results to be immediate uh, for the film. <laughs> so you wouldn't have to wait like, yeah. a month for him to get the results so i did this like blood more techie thing very cool i've never done a dna dna test before i kind of want to but i kind of both my parents have so i kind of know yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. Gonna, gonna come back as would you ever travel to a remote location in a foreign country if you found out you had a long lost twin that lived there totally absolutely ready for anything that that's gonna happen You've learned absolutely nothing from your nothing. own movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Everyone go watch Amelia's Children on VOD on March 1st. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure.